This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. A researcher at Marshall has identified a new type of plesiosaur. Picture the Loch Ness Monster in your mind. And what a lot of people tend to picture is basically what a plesiosaur looked like. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A bill in the House to adjust homeschooling requirements sparked discussion about child welfare and abuse. Chris Schultz has more. House Bill 5180 changes how required academic assessments of homeschooled students are presented to the county superintendent. Delegate Mike Pushkin, a Democrat from Kanawha County, proposed an amendment in the House Education Committee that would bar authorizing homeschooling if there is a pending child abuse investigation or a domestic violence conviction against either custodial parent or an instructor. Pushkin said he recognizes most homeschoolers are involved in caring guardians, but sometimes homeschooling is used to hide abuse. Oftentimes, somebody at the school spots the signs of abuse and that's how they find out and that's what could lead to that phone call being made that might save a child's life. The amendment is similar to Rayleigh's Law, named after an eight-year-old girl who died of abuse and neglect after being withdrawn from school. The bill has never made it out of committee. The amendment was voted down, and the bill was recommended to the full House for consideration. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Charleston. A natural gas pipeline's completion date and cost have been adjusted upward yet again. Curtis Tate has more. Equitrans Midstream, the builder of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, said Tuesday that challenging winter weather in January had delayed the project's completion to the second quarter of the year. The delays have also boosted the project's cost to nearly $7.7 billion from $7.2 billion. The 303-mile, 42-inch pipeline is expected to transport as much as 2 billion cubic feet of gas per day from north-central West Virginia to southern Virginia. It faced many court challenges over the past several years from landowners and environmental groups. The project has been delayed multiple times. Congress mandated its completion last year as part of the Fiscal Responsibility Act. It is a top priority for the state's elected leaders and the gas industry. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. A bill relating to child labor and 14-year-old workers is moving through the legislature. Randy Yowie has more. Removing a requirement that 14 or 15-year-olds obtain a work permit is key to House Bill 5159. Instead, parental permission and an age certificate from the Department of Labor is needed for children ages 14 and 15 to work. Some opposed to the bill did not want to see the input of local schools taken out of the child labor equation. Delegate Todd Longenacre, a Republican from Greenbrier County, said code changes in the bill were procedural and 14-year-olds should have the freedom to work. And if there's one thing kids need today in our society is to start learning work ethic at an earlier age, not a later age. This is a good bill. Let's let those kids get to work. The child labor bill passed 83 to 16 and now goes to the Senate. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. A truck calling an excavator struck two bridges on Interstate 64 in South Charleston Monday evening, causing enough damage to one bridge to need repairs. The excavator's boom struck the overpasses for Montrose Road and Canon Turnpike around 5 p.m.
The Division of Highways engineers quickly determined both bridges remain safe for traffic. However, three beams on the Montrose Road Bridge will have to be repaired. The strike also knocked some concrete loose and damaged a light fixture. Repairs will require lane closures, the department said. The department will announce lane closures or other traffic impacts related to those repairs. The Senate addressed keeping West Virginia's kids safer online. The body passed bills addressing ways that AI could be used to sexually exploit children on the Internet and protect the personal information of people online. Brianna Heaney has more. The use of photos to create deepfakes of sexually explicit content is becoming a trend among child predators. The content can be generated using photos of children online and on social media sites. Senate Bill 740 prohibits digital manipulation of sexually explicit content that includes minors. Senator Patricia Rucker, a Republican from Jefferson County, is one of the sponsors of the bill. She said she received an email from a constituent whose 14-year-old son had been affected by AI-generated child pornography. They took a picture that he had on Instagram. They photoshopped it to put a naked uh, depiction of his body. And then were trying to extort money from him or they were going to post it all over social media. As you can imagine, he was very upset. And thankfully, he went straight to his parents. But they called the police. And just so you know, the police told them, we don't know what we can do about this. Senate Bill 741 prohibits the creation, production, distribution, or possession of artificially generated child pornography. Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, sponsored and introduced the bill. This bill makes clear that if you do it through the use of artificial intelligence and generate images, then it's going to be subject to felony penalties, crime under West Virginia law. Both bills passed unanimously and head to the House for consideration. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 750. Becoming mostly sunny today, highs in the 50s and 60s, partly cloudy tonight, lows in the 30s and 40s, chance of rain on Thursday with highs in the 50s and 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by the Simon Perry Center for Constitutional Democracy. Presenting a lecture on the blinding of an American soldier and the igniting of the modern civil rights movement. 7 p.m. Thursday, February 22nd at Marshall's Foundation Hall. A researcher at Marshall University has discovered an entirely new type of plesiosaur after studying the fossils of two different creatures. News Director Eric Douglas spoke with Robert Clark, the academic laboratory manager for the biology department at Marshall, to find out more. We'll let him explain the name, though. Let's define what a plesiosaur is. When I talk to people about plesiosaurs, 
I think it's helpful to start with the Loch Ness Monster. So picture the Loch Ness Monster in your mind. And what a lot of people tend to picture is basically what a plesiosaur looked like. It's this huge uh, reptilian sea creature with a head with sharp teeth, a long neck, kind of a teardrop-shaped body, and four flippers. But the difference is, unlike the Loch Ness Monster, plesiosaurs were actually real and they lived in oceans all over the world during the time of the dinosaurs. Okay, interesting. So, so how did you? What, what's what's been the process that you were studying uh, a plesiosaur and realized, hey, wait a minute, this isn't something we've ever seen before. It, it started actually before I came on board. Uh, my my advisor here at Marshalls, Doctor O'Keefe, uh, had had found this um this skull he didn't pull it out of the ground himself it, it was found by a paleontologist named James Martin in 1998 uh for the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology and so when i became a grad student i started studying this skull you know you start anatomical comparisons and learning about plesiosaurs and this family of plesiosaurs called polygotylids and eventually realized that there's this other skull over at the University of Colorado uh, Boulder that, um, that looks remarkably similar to the South Dakota school. And so we start really comparing that and talking to those guys. That one was found in 1975 by a paleontologist named Ken Carpenter. The University of Colorado Boulder graciously allowed us to come and pick up that skull and bring it back to Marshall and really study it. And then they also have a nearly complete skeleton of the rest of the animal. And so we were able to travel out there a second time and spend a few days really analyzing the the rest of the skeleton and realize these are the same animal and it's a new type of polycotylid, unlike um, any other polycotylid plesiosaur that's been found. And the neat thing, too, is turns out same exact rock layer, just 42 miles apart on either side of the border between those two states. We're very confident they're the same species and they're a new species and genus. So you said this is a, a its own genus and um, w- within the family tree of plesiosaurs? Yeah. So w- one thing that sets this guy apart is this this family of polycotylid plesiosaurs, they're, they're often around 15 feet long. Uh, this is actually the smallest polycotylid plesiosaur known as an adult um, at only around seven and a half feet long. So this thing was just a little bit longer than a, a human is tall. It it looks similar to human size if you're swimming next to it. I, when I looked at the, the background information on this, I, I realized I couldn't pronounce anything. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> well, tell me again the, the name of the, the poly what? They're, they're polycotylids. polycotylids. That's the plesiosaur family, yeah. Okay. Polycotylid. <laughs> and the, well, but then what's this specific one that you? And then, yeah, this, this particular polycotylid we named Unctahila. The, the reason we named it Unctahila, um, is because it's a Native American Lakota word. The, the Lakota people, their tradition tells of this mystical horned water serpent that lived in the part of the country where we found these specimens. In, in the Dakotas and in. Yep. In the Dakotas, Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, that, that area and all the way up into Canada and down. In- what haven't I asked about that you want to talk about? 
So it's it's been a longstanding debate. How did plesiosaurs swim? It's really interesting because um, there's nothing on Earth alive today that has basically two sets of underwater wings. They had these huge flippers. You think about a sea turtle, it's swimming mostly with its front flippers, right? The back ones it's more steering with. Plesiosaurs had huge rear flippers too, and they were uh, swimming with these two sets of, of flippers, these two pairs of, of underwater wings. And so how does that work? Um, it's, it's interesting because a lot of sea creatures, you think about kind of an undulating body that's swimming more like a fish or, um, or like a, like a dolphin. But with plesiosaurs, they, um, didn't have a lot of flexibility in their body itself. It's almost like a turtle, not with a shell, but really compact body. They weren't undulating through the water. Instead, they were using their fore flippers and hind flippers to flap around. That was paleontologist Robert Clark from Marshall University discussing a new type of plesiosaur he helped identify with Eric Douglas. To read more of the interview, visit our website at wvpublic.org. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Jack Walker, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Thank you.